Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Stephen, Sam, Ryan, and Ben. Ryan, I was so close. Um, wasn't I close? Close enough. Um, thank you as well, all of you, for coming out on what is a really nice like summer evening in late May. Um, I'm sure there's many of other fun things that you could have been doing. You could have been at home revising. You could have been outside enjoying the sunshine. Timmy McGregor could have been an Iceland car park. There's so many other places you could have been, but I'm really glad that you all came here tonight to sing God's praises, to hear what he has to say from us, uh, what he has to say to us from his word. Um, but before I start, um, we're going to pray. So the reason that we're going to pray is because people have studied the Bible for hundreds, thousands of years. Okay, they've learned from it. They've tried to understand what's going on in it, and it's never changed their life. Okay, they've remained atheists. They've remained against God. So what we're doing tonight is not about head knowledge, but rather we're going to talk to the creator of the universe, whose words these are, whose words um, give life to us, give life to the place that we call our earth. And we're going to ask him to speak to us personally and directly and to change us to make us more like his son as we learn from what he has to say from the Bible. So I'm going to pray really quickly. I invite you to do that with me and then we'll get stuck in. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is alive and active. Thank you that even though it may only seem like words on a page that were written long, long ago, they have been written so that we can get to know you better, that we can get to know the sin that lives within us, and we can get to know the grace that's found in Jesus who saves us from that sin. Pray that you would take away all our distractions, anything we've had in the week past, anything that we have in the week coming up, and that we would focus only on what you're saying to us now through your word. Take away anything I have to say, Lord, that's of me, and may it all be about you and giving glory and honor to who you are. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, promise I won't be long. Acts 28, 17 to 31. The finish, okay? This is the end of our series in Acts at CE. Um, and this is the overview of our talk and what it's going to be tonight. It's going to be a really long introduction, okay? But if you can stick with me through the introduction, there's going to be one question that I'll ask at the end. Okay, quite a long introduction, but then one question. All we need to listen for, okay? But before we do that, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to open the floor and ask a question. This isn't the question, by the way, but ask a question. What is the greatest ending to any TV show or TV series of all time? Put your hand up. No shouting out. Okay. Well, none of you watch TV. Okay. Bunch of brethren. Would you just tell me, answer me back. Greatest ending did right. You don't even need to put your hand up. Shout it out. Greatest ending to a TV series ever. Henry, what is it? Hey Arnold. Niche, which most people here won't have a clue what that is. Okay, football head. So, come on. Like, what TV shows do you watch? What's been the best ever ending to a TV show that you've ever seen? Okay, I'm not going to say that out loud because it kind of spoils what I was going to say next. Come on, give me some more. No, they're just... so dull. You'd think none of you watch TV, okay? I'm going to say what Murkoff said at the front, which is The Office, okay? The Office US has undoubtedly the greatest ending to a TV series of all time, okay? If you haven't seen it, wait until you're at age 15 and then go and watch it. 
but like the full series. It is phenomenal, okay? The whole series from start to finish, great. The ending episode, just perfect. At every point, it is brilliant. But what is it that makes it brilliant? Okay, so if you've never seen The Office before and I sat you down and and told you that you have to watch this because it's the best piece of TV ever and you watched it without any context, you watched this last episode, would you have any idea what's going on? Whenever Creed sings and plays the guitar and says that he still has his medal from Flunkerton, whenever Pan, Pan, Pam takes a picture off the wall and whenever Andy gives a speech at his Cornell University, All of this would make no sense to you while I would be welling up, okay? I'd be getting all emotional about it. What makes the ending to this story is not that one little piece so special. What makes the ending to this story so special and so meaningful is everything that has come beforehand. What makes the ending so special is everything that has come beforehand. So the point of the office is to entertain. Okay, it's a bit of daft crack that pulls you in with a bit of drama and a bit of emotional investment. The Bible, though, does have a story that runs throughout it, but it's not to entertain. It isn't just there to be mulled over by boring men that wear beige suits and smell like a pensioner's wardrobe. It's there to show you the greatness of Jesus. It's not there to show you the greatness and potential that exists within you for you to claim blessing as you step out in boldness. To paraphrase 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible is to teach us. It's to show us the way that we were made to live our lives and it's to make us more like Jesus. The Bible is written to show us through the Holy Spirit, through convincing and convicting us. It's to show us who Jesus is and who he claims to be. So, As we arrive at the end of our series in Acts, here is the closing scene that we are met with that Andrew read out for us. The Apostle Paul, who used to oversee the murder of Christians but is now a Christian himself, after meeting with the risen Jesus, has just arrived in Rome after a little break in Malta, just a small island off the coast of Italy. While in Malta, Paul was bitten by a snake, but he didn't die, and then he healed the sick. Then he arrived in Rome, and then he was put under house arrest by the Jewish leaders. That's Acts 1 verse 1 to 16. While under house arrest, obviously Paul can't leave the house because he's basically grounded, he calls the Jewish leaders together and he says, Right, listen. Me, I like I haven't actually done anything wrong or disrespectful towards you or Paul being himself born a Jew or Jewish history and heritage. When I appealed to the Roman authorities, they said that I'd done nothing wrong, but the Jewish leaders you still wanted to keep me locked up at home? So now I've even appealed to Caesar, the emperor of Rome, not to retaliate against you or sort of get my own back, but just to be set free. So Paul called these Jewish leaders to reason with him. And the leader said, well, to be honest, we haven't heard of anything bad that you've done really or said about us. But we're going to go away. We're going to come back another day. And we want you to tell us everything. We want you to tell us everything that you've been going around and teaching about the Jewish faith and about the Christian faith. So the Jewish leaders, they went away, and when they came back in their droves, the Apostle Paul spoke with them for a full day, and he shared with them the gospel of Jesus. Some of these Jewish leaders were convinced, 
by what Paul said. They were convinced about what he said about Jesus and what Jesus came to do. But the rest were not. Acts 28, 17 to 24. In fact, we're not just told that they were unconvinced. Um, Some versions of the Bible translate this as they refused to believe. They refused to believe. Verse 25 tells us that they walked away after this brief statement from Paul, which, to be honest, for them at that time was being received as though Paul had just slapped them in the face. Paul quotes Isaiah 6 saying that God's people, the Jews, will hear, but they'll never understand. They will see, but they'll never perceive. Isaiah, this great prophet to Israel who told of the coming of Jesus, said, There will be some people who see all that Jesus has done and all that Jesus will do. They will hear all that Jesus teaches. They will see all of his miracles. But their hearts are hard. They will not accept him. And then Paul closes this by saying, Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. This salvation that was promised to the Jews way back, okay, way back at the start of the Bible in Genesis 3 after Adam first sinned, their whole life, their whole custom, their whole religion had been building to this one point of God sending a Savior to restore the relationship that they had with him. And now they're hearing that this Savior has actually come to save the Gentiles as well. This salvation that they thought was only for them has actually been promised also to those outside of God's people by birth. So regardless of their previous record of rule keeping, regardless of their background, anybody can know eternal life with the Creator God. It's not exclusive. It's not for those only from a certain family. It's for everyone. See, this was always Jesus' ministry. This was always his message while he was on earth, that all can come to know God through relationship with Christ. By conviction of sin through the Holy Spirit and coming to Jesus with your guilt of rebellion towards God, which must be punished, and asking Jesus to take that so that you can then live in relationship with God is the way that we were made to live with him and with each other tied together by the Holy Spirit. Okay, when Jesus died, there was something a bit weird that happened. Matthew 27, 50 to 51 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, if you've ever seen a pantomime in Portadown Town Hall, or if you've ever seen a pantomime at, like, say, the waterfront, those massive curtains that sort of sit on the stage at the interval, that's the type of curtain that we're talking about here, not a little flimsy bit of fabric that you have in your um, living room or bedroom. It's a big, thick curtain. This was ripped in two. Okay, this curtain separated the rest of the temple from another place called the Holy of Holies, it was a place that only Jewish priests could enter to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people to God. 
this sacrifice had to be perfectly appearing. It had to be a perfectly healthy lamb. This was a place that is holy of holies behind the temple curtain that separated God's people from it. This was a place that God's holy and perfect presence rested. So not just anybody could walk in for the crack. At Jesus' death, this curtain was torn in two. It was torn from top to bottom. And that didn't just mean that now only some more Jews or some more priests can enter the Holy of Holies, but it means that anybody can come to God to offer sacrifice. What that all means is that because of Jesus' death, as the Lamb of God, something that you may have heard before, Jesus' death as the perfect sacrificial Lamb of God, anybody can now enter into God's presence, whether that is coming in times of worship or prayer or, or reading his word. Seeing Jesus' life, birth, death, resurrection, and knowing all the prophecies that there would have been in the Old Testament about these, hearing his teaching, witnessing the miracles, seeing the curtain which hid the Holy of Holies was now torn, hearing that over 400 people had seen Jesus and his nail-pierced body three days, or sorry, three days after he was killed and after he rose again, meeting Paul and the transformation, seeing that within his life, where he went from stoning Christians to now healing them and sharing the hope that he now believed in, knowing what happened on the day of Pentecost whenever the Holy Spirit came down to the apostles and the disciples, hearing of and maybe even seeing the miracles performed by these apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus, the one that these Jewish leaders murdered, after all of this, they still were not convinced at who Jesus said he was. The coming of the Holy Spirit and the advancement of the gospel and the salvation of mankind is supposed to be this almighty climax to everything that has come before the grand finale of the Jewish religion. It's the unmissable final episode that they should have all been waiting for. They know that each character has been there. They know the part that each character has played in bringing them to this point. They know every story of rescue and rebellion. They know every wedding, every war. The story of Acts should have brought everything in Jewish history together in the most perfect and satisfying way. But what did Isaiah say? He said that after all of this, there will be those in Israel who will still not believe that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world. And here we are reading that this event that Isaiah talked about, this rejection has actually happened. It's been recorded for us in Acts. Hundreds of years after his prophecy, there's these Jewish leaders who hear about it. They know the Old Testament inside and out. They've kept God's law to the letter that they would argue. And what do they do? They walk away because they refuse to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They had eyes, but they did not see. They had ears, but they did not hear. They knew, but they did not believe. 
And so this salvation that we've learned about that was first promised back in Genesis 3, whenever sin entered the world, has been sent to the Gentiles. But how do we know this? Okay, unless you haven't quite realized yet, this is not a Jewish temple. I am not a rabbi. I do not have curly locks. Nobody has yelled, Mazel Tov! Yes? No sheep have been or likely will be sacrificed at the front of this hall before tonight's over. I don't know what's coming after me. I don't know about you, but I'm not expecting to have my bar mitzvah anytime soon, and I'm sure neither of you are either. To kind of make my point, we're not Jewish. We aren't historical Jews. We are not from the line of Jacob. We are the Gentiles that are being talked about here. And so then the statement made in verse 28 by the salvation of God reaching the Gentiles has absolutely and has undoubtedly happened because it's happening right now. We are now teaching, learning about Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Okay, so now the question. Acts 28, 24. Some were convinced by what he, that's Paul. Some were, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Okay, you've heard not what I have said. You've heard what the Bible says. You've heard what the word of God says, that each of you here tonight know this message of Jesus Christ is everyone who's weary, everyone who's heavy laden with burdens. You can come to know eternal, physical, spiritual rest in him. Each of you have now heard that regardless of your past or present sin, regardless of your background or current beliefs, regardless of your family or friendship circle, Jesus wants to restore the relationship that you once enjoyed with God the Father. Here's my question, though, from this verse. Who are you like? What's your response? If you were to pick a side in this story, which one would you be? What's your response to hearing the gospel? Now I'm not going to turn into the gospel hall preacher who thumps the living lining out of a lectern and yells, Are you washed? Do you know your maker? For you're not guaranteed to make it home the night. Okay? But what I am going to say is look at the response to what Paul says. There's no answer of Meh. Maybe. We'll see. I'll get it. There's no answer of, you know, I just kind of want to enjoy myself a bit first. There's this girl or there's this guy I like who's a Christian. And, and so if I became a Christian now, well then, if they're not a Christian and I become a Christian, then I'm really going to miss out and I'm potentially like having a relationship with them. There's no answer of ooh, a mega commitment like that. I'm about to go on my gap year. I'm going to really find myself, you know. If I start to follow Jesus now, how am I going to have time to go off backpacking in Thailand and experience life and fun and travel and then have time for any of that Christian stuff? There's no answer of, to be honest, ah, I'll just think about it whenever, whenever I'm going to die. Why waste all these years that I have going to church? I just want to go out. I want to experience nightlife, pre-formals, go to university, just... Here for a 
good time, not a long time, you know? Think about it all later. There's no answer of, I'll be honest, I just don't want any of my friends to think that I'm a wee bit of a weirdo. I'm kind of popular, not completely disliked. Why would I want to be part of a group of people who I'm told are the most hateful and judgmental? Why would I want to be part of that? There's no answer of, I just haven't got a minute to think about that yet. Okay, I'm in the middle of exam season. I have my 10 A-stars to get before I get into Queens for medicine. Or else my life will be ruined and I'll be a complete failure. I have no time for that yet. Let me focus now. Whenever I've ticked all these boxes, then I'll think about it. Those aren't options. The answer is either follow or walk away. The answer is to follow or to walk away. The Book of Acts is kind of weird. It's not really about any one person in particular. There's no one main human character. The point of the Book of Acts isn't either to try and replicate it now. The Book of Acts at, at its basis is an historical account of the explosion of the Christian church as driven by the Holy Spirit, validating and proving the message of Jesus and who he is. So staying on this theme of story endings, it kind of feels that the book ends a wee bit suddenly. Okay, we're told that Paul earlier on in the chapter after being bitten by snakes and even shipwrecked and stoned just says in one place that, you know, he, he teaches people about Jesus for a while. Feels a bit flat. Feels a bit anticlimactic, a wee bit more line of duty rather than Avengers Endgame. But step back, okay? Because this book is about the advancement of the gospel and the progression of the church. So it can't have a conclusive draw a line under it, put a full stop on it ending. The stories of the work of the Holy Spirit through the church, the stories of the work of the Holy Spirit through God's people have continued. A man called Lloyd Ogilvie writes, This abrupt ending leaves us with the challenge and opportunity to allow the Spirit to write the next chapter in the book of Acts today in and through us. Now, what I want to be clear is that that means that there's no new revelation. There's no adding to the Bible. What is there, what is bound in Scripture, will never change. Any man or woman who claims to have some sort of special prophetic insight into this that doesn't point people directly to Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that is in him is talking nonsense. The story, though, the narrative of the whole of the book of Acts is ongoing. The Christian church is advancing and it is still growing. Even though it doesn't always seem like it. There was a guy, G.K. Chesterton, who wrote, Five times in history it's been recorded that the church has gone to the dogs and each time it's the dogs that have lost. We're told in the Bible that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So regardless of what society the changes with the wind, regardless of whatever politics, social media, your friends, your family can tell you, the word of God that will never fade, that has been tested and proven true 
over thousands of years does not lie. And so if the gates of hell do not prevail against the church, they will not. The church will continue to grow. The Holy Spirit will continue to save people, convict them of their sin and bring them to Jesus. That won't stop. Acts is still ongoing. Ask somebody who's a Christian. Ask somebody who has followed Jesus for years. Ask of the stories that they can tell you of the work in their life and his goodness that they have seen. Because really, if the Bible is just a story for a bit of amusement and to kill time, our life is just going to be foreverly meaningless and it'll forever be unchanged. You can strive for status. You can strive for recognition and think that those things will last. Maybe you can think that, you know, maybe I'm sort of half convinced by this, but I am going to come to Jesus later in life, near the end. Nonsense. That is not, neither of those, our life at all. Being truly convinced of the gospel of Jesus shapes your life in such a way that all you will do will glorify him and all that you want to do will glorify him. As you do that, it will create an eternal ripple through the lives of others in ways that you will never really know of or conceive of. The gospel has advanced, but not because of the efforts of man. The book of Acts only exists because it's not about the efforts of man. The church was established and grew so that we could be here in Portadown about 2,000 years later and be part of it all, this eternal church that is stretched back into the Garden of Eden and stretches on into eternity because it's not about the efforts of us, about the efforts of man. Tim Keller. Many of you, I'm sure, know him. Some of you may have heard of him. Some of you could have no idea who he is. Was a faithful follower of Jesus who died last week. His life was a continuation of the story of Acts. As he convinced and was convicted through the gospel to share this good news with everyone that he could. Tim is now in glory, but I am absolutely convinced that only by the Holy Spirit working in him in miraculous ways that today and in the future there will be people who come face to face with God the Father as a loving relationship, like the prodigal son returned home to his father because of Tim. Why? Because he believed the gospel. He was convinced. He shared this gospel. He shared this good news of Jesus Christ. And only because of this, he finished well. But I'll let him sum it up better than I could. Lastly, forget about your reputation. Genesis 11 tells us that people tend to go to the city to make a name for themselves. They get excited. They're going to come. They're going to do well in their work. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about your credentials. Ministers, people don't make getting a big name in New York City your main thing. Lift up Jesus' name. Hallowed be thy name. Forget yourself. Forget your reputation. Do what you can to lift up God's name. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Even New Yorkers, of course, all New Yorkers are seeking great things for themselves. No, no. 
Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Thank you for listening. Last, let's pray. Father, we thank you that the church is still advancing, that you're still saving people and that you're still bringing them into a relationship with yourself. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, convince and convict us that this is the way that we knew we ought to be living. Show us the sin that continues to hold us back and show us the forgiveness that's found in Christ for that. Imprint the question on our hearts. What's our response? Help us follow you, Lord. Amen. Amen.